Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for Debate Day. It is Debate Day. Happy good morning to you, or afternoon, or whenever you... I don't know when you people listen to this, but whenever you do, happy whatever time of day that is. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. I'll be with you for the next however long it takes. Uh, don't forget, support the program, the Weekend F and Review, bonus content material, things like that, at patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com, where you can win... Autographed books. Senator Mike Lee, the Freedom Agenda, goes up again. Autographed by Senator Mike Lee. He's got a nice signature. Going up against Wake the Perdido, Perdido Star. I don't know. You'll have to call up Gene Hackman and ask him yourself. By Daniel Lee Hen. It doesn't matter. The money one is Gene Hackman. As far as I know. Maybe the other guy's like more famous. But, yes, two-time Oscar winner, Gene. I didn't know he won two Oscars, but, you know, good on him. Maybe he won for the French Connection and Unforgiven. Whatever it is, it's autographed by him. So it's not every day you're going to get a chance to get something autographed by either one of those gentlemen. So here's your chance. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.Locals.com. Let us get to it. I'm going to be doing I'll just do a... a Debate preview, as little body Studa behind me, the cat, screams at me. Shush, go away. Um, a debate preview. But first, I've got to talk about the president. I recorded yesterday's show, I don't know, like 7 o'clock or something like that. And so Joe hadn't really gotten to Hawaii and screwed things up and embarrassed himself and the country and honestly our species. It's you got to give Joe Biden credit. He is thorough. He doesn't screw up half-assed. He does not insult people part way. He goes all in. Uh, he doesn't sexually assault staffers sort of half-assed. He doesn't grope and, snap and sniff women half He does it all or nothing. You've got to admire that. I suppose it's, it's where Hunter learned his style to deal with blow, right? Like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not just going to toot a little. I'm not going to dabble in it. I'm going to be like a Dyson in a dust storm, and I'm just going to suck it all right up. Anyway, he went out to Hawaii, and God, what a horrible person. I don't know who is handling him these days. Jill was there. It, it should have been her day. But it was not a good day. He fell asleep during a memorial service sitting in a crowd. I mean, he just fell asleep. Why? Because all the vacation, he was on vacation for what? He spent a couple of, he spent a week at the beach and another week at Camp David or whatever. He was all over the place on vacation. And this week he's spending at a billionaire, liberal, left-wing environmentalist, nut job, government profiteer. Tom Steyer's estate in Arizona. It's not a mansion, it's an estate. It is a gigantic estate. Billionaires billionaires don't have small apartments or two-bedroom houses that the presidents can buy. Presidents don't stay there either. So Joe, being a man of the people, middle-class lunch bucket Joe, is staying at a billionaire's house for the week, renting it, allegedly. We'll see how much he actually paid for it. But... Uh, 
he took time off to make a day trip. I love how they call it a day trip out to Hawaii. He flew around Hawaii, looked at the fire devastation, and then he did a couple of events. George W. Bush did more than this during Katrina, and he was lambasted. Where is Kanye West in saying that uh, Joe Biden doesn't care about indigenous people or whatever? I guess he's probably, and maybe, maybe Kanye was hoping that more Jews were, were killed in the fire because Kanye hates Jews or something. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe Kanye only is obsessed with Jews. I don't know what the, Kanye's sort of fallen off the radar, which is probably the most merciful thing anybody could do is not pay attention to Kanye West because when they do pay attention to it, you're like, what the hell, dude? What's wrong with you? So keep him out of trouble. You don't pay attention to him. But uh, Joe went out there. Like I say, there was a big community sort of event, a healing event, a coming together. And Joe fell asleep during it. Because why? Because he doesn't give a damn. He does not care. The guy finds a way to make every damn thing about himself. It is disgusting. It's disturbing. It's not surprising, but it is disgusting and disturbing. So I have two clips that have made the rounds, but I want you to hear them here because... You just have to sit there and go, is this guy for real? Is he for real? How? What is wrong with him? Now, this isn't, I know what you're thinking. He's old. He's senile. This is the sort of thing that Joe Biden has done his whole life. This is this, this is the guy, remember, who meets with the 13 service members, families who died on his watch because of his incompetence in the evacuation, the retreat in Kabul and told the story about how he knows what they're going through because they lost their son, Bo, in Iraq. He came home in a flag draped. He did not come home. He died in the United States. He, he was out of the military for quite some time. He served in Iraq years before he died of brain cancer. Horrible death, but not dying in service to the country. It's just a simple scientific fact. It's not even science it's geography but joe lies about it because he tries this is being generous to him he tries to identify with the audience see the good politicians who are not necessarily good people i wouldn't think that any politician is really somebody you'd trust with your pin number but uh Bill Clinton was a really good at politics. He was really good at politics. Why? Because he could make anybody in a room, a crowded room, feel as though they were the only person in that room. He'd listen to them. He'd talk to them. He'd hear them out. He'd grip their hand and then their their elbow as well and ring them in and look them right in the eye. And you think, my God, this guy's really hearing me. Whether he was or not, probably more of a case-by-case issue. But it was right there. He, in that moment, he made even people who didn't like him like him, made people who didn't like him feel like he was listening. And Joe Biden is one of those guys who emulates the words. He is not very bright. He's not a very good person. And you can tell by the way that his children turned out that he's not really a super good parent. I know every once in a while I get an email from somebody, you say that about Joe. Oh, good parents can have bad kids. Yes, good parents can't have bad kids. Kids fall down, you know, rabbit holes in life and everything. But two out of three that we know of, I I don't know. Adults, I just don't know. I just don't, especially when they're in power. You know, rich kids, 
everybody goes, oh, they're rich kids and they're, they're jerks. And everybody remembers all the bad guys in every movie that uh, John Hughes ever made or every character that David Spade ever played. And they go, that's what rich kids are like. And it's weird. Kids of politicians, political power is way more insulating than money in a lot of ways. Because money, yeah, you can buy your way out of it, but you've got to buy your way out of it. You've got to get the lawyers to get you into it or daddy's got to make the phone call or whatever. In politics, the name carries the weight. You don't need the money. The money, other people will take care of the money. Other people will buy the stuff. Hey, man, I got weed here. I'll, you can have some. Uh, the police pull you over and they go, oh, crap. Or they run your plate and they go, oh, it's it's that guy's kid. I'm not even going to bother pulling it over. Money, you can find out later that you stepped in a bear trap. Politics, you know immediately you stepped in a pile of steaming horse dung. And so you don't face consequences immediately. If you get arrested as the son or daughter of a rich kid, there's a possibility that the arrest will make the news. You might have people be able to keep it out of there, hush it up, whatever. But in politics, the arrest doesn't happen most of the time. The encounter might but the arrest doesn't happen. And they all go, oh, no, wait a second. Hold on a minute. I don't know. I'm not even going to bother. So you live in a completely different world. And you really have to be, to live in the world that Joe Biden inhabits, you have to be incredibly callous. You have to be incredibly callous. How you can go to Hawaii. And look, yeah, over 100, 000, over 100 people have been confirmed dead. But there's somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand or more who are still missing. And they're missing after two weeks. It's not a good outcome generally when people are missing that long in the wake of a natural disaster. If they got lost in a park, eventually somebody finds them. But in the wake of a natural disaster or devastating fire, earthquake, hurricane, whatever, and people are missing for this long some will turn up, but a lot will not. So we're looking at the prospect of the of a thousand dead, of a thousand dead. And Joe Biden goes there and talks about himself. And you may ask yourself, why in the hell would he do this? And this that is a perfectly valid question. Why in the hell would he do this? Because he doesn't care. You can't care. You can't be a decent human being and go in there and think, yeah, you know, geez, I'm sorry that uh, your mom died, that uh, she got hit by a car and fell down there. But, you know, I know what you're feeling because I slept wrong last night and my neck is a little bit, I don't know, it's just, you know, what I could use is a, a hot towel. You don't have to have a hot towel. Anyway, I'll, I'll get a hot towel when I get back. But sorry about your loss. I just want to let you know that I know what you're going through. Now, there's a certain amount of, look, having lost my parents semi-recently with my mother and very recently with my father, and having had friends who have lost parents, not many, thankfully, in that same time period, or other people whose parents are not of the best of health, you have those conversations and you just say, look, you know, you sort of give them warning. You're never going to regret a moment that you go and you spend there. You're going to regret the moments you didn't take. And you're going to wish you'd taken more time, et cetera, et cetera. And if you, somebody is sick and you say, you know, I've been there, it sucks. It's horrible. And that's all really people need to hear. It's not, you know, when I was a kid, I lost my hamster. And I know exactly what you're going through. It's not that.
it's not that at all. And there comes a certain point where no matter how big the tragedy is, you've used it up. Joe Biden, sadly, lost his wife and daughter when he just gotten elected to the United States Senate. He hadn't taken office yet. He hadn't turned 30 yet. He was elected at 29. Tells you how long he's been in politics and how insulated his life has been and how long it has been insulated. His wife died in a car accident. It's unclear as to who's to blame for that accident. He's always blamed the truck driver. Sometimes he used to say the truck driver was drunk until the family threatened to sue him. And then he stopped with that. But his wife died and his young daughter died. His two kids, two sons were in the car. They survived, luckily. But he's been using that throughout his political career to his political advantage, and it's really disgusting. Look, I'm never going to tell anybody how to grieve, and I'm not going to allow anybody to tell me how to grieve. But when you, this isn't grieving. This is exploitation. When you use it every time somebody dies, use your son's death or your, your wife's and daughter's death, every time there is death, you, you reach the point of exploitation. People don't, in the moment of grief, unless you're really close to them and they know you really well, they're not interested in what you went through. I've been through some stuff too. Okay, that's great. I don't care, right? I don't know you. I know who you are, but I don't know you. We aren't friends. You're not identifying with me, okay? You're here to comfort me and telling you you've seen some stuff too. You've been through some stuff. Is not going to help. You Mostly when you're trying to be empathetic, you need to shut up and listen and nod and go yes and, and say, well, what can I do for you? What is it? What do you need? I will do all I can to get you there. And you give them a hug, you give them a, a handshake, you give them a look in the eye and you say, it's going to be okay. I, we're going to make it okay. You don't go, yeah, you, you got it tough. I had it tough too. Because most of these people, let's be honest, they've lost everything. They, they still have their lives. Everybody he's talking to still has their lives. And while there may well be over a thousand dead, most people didn't die in the fire, thankfully. So you're dealing with people, and most people didn't have somebody in their family die in the fire, thankfully. So you're dealing with people who've just lost everything. And you make it about your dead wife. Okay, well, their house is destroyed. They're homeless right now. They don't know, they don't have any clothes. They don't, all their memories, all their photos, everything is gone. Their whole neighborhood is gone. It's not just their house. It's their whole neighborhood. It's their whole city. And you're going, yeah, no, I've been through some stuff too. Back in 1972, uh, my wife died. So I know what you're going through. No, you don't. You don't have a clue. Listen, he did it twice with two different stories. This is just the first one. This is about his wife and his daughter. America's deadly wildfire, deadliest wildfire in over a century. And Jill and I have what's left, uh, walked Front Street, what's left of it. We've surveyed the damage from the air as well. The devastation is overwhelming to date. 114 dead, hundreds of people unaccounted for. I remember when I got the call, my first wife and daughter, I was a young senator, and I got a call in Washington. I hadn't been sworn in yet. I wasn't old enough. And I was hiring staff in the Capitol at Teddy Kennedy's office. And I got a phone call saying from my fire department, and the young first responder kind of panicked, you got to come home. There's been an accident. I said, what happened? He said, your wife, she, she, she's dead. 
come home, come home. The tractor trailer had broadsided her and uh, uh, killed her in a car accident along with my little daughter. And uh, I remember all the way down from Washington home, wondering what a lot of people here are wondering. What about my two boys? How are they? They were in the car. I never got a read on that. Were they going to be all right? They were badly injured. Were they going to make it? Had they made it? Until I walked into the emergency room and I saw that they were there. I. That's where you... Okay, what, what does this have to do with anything? These people's lives have been devastated, Mr. President. What Your tragedy 50 years ago doesn't rate. It doesn't matter. Leave these people alone i know i know it because my, my sons were okay and blah, blah they lost everything all right you lost everything too back then but your story actually doesn't really jive if you think about what he says he was in ted kennedy's office hiring staff and somehow a local first responder got him on the phone tracked him down there how a first at the scene was there a cell phone they called his off. How did they track him down and track him down in Ted Kennedy's office? At most, I would assume that somebody got a hold of somebody with the campaign or somebody in the Biden family, and then they would reach out to him. The police don't have the time or resources or wherewithal, frankly, to start tracking down Senator elects as they're going through the hiring process. Which office is he in? Could you transfer me over there? We got to talk to him, right? No. You tell the family, and then the family, you find the, the first family member you can get a hold of, probably his wife's family, I would guess, and then eventually they track him down, or the news reaches it, the media somehow does it, or with the help. But it just doesn't jive. It just doesn't make any sense. It's also irrelevant to the facts at hand. It is taking a current tragedy and making it about himself, because there's no real connection there to the tragedy that Hawaii faced but he wasn't done he wasn't done his house caught on fire too at one point partially a little bit in the kitchen it lasted about 20 minutes that that's the gist his fire lasted about 20 minutes but to hear joe tell the story his his garbage his version of events was that he almost lost his house he almost lost his wife he almost lost his corvette and his cat his corvette and his cat what kind of a excuse my french what kind of a dick would say this now you can make a case i suppose for saying what he said about his wife in that sense okay you could make that case. It's not a good case. You shouldn't do it. But you could say, all right, well, look, I'm just trying to identify. I've been through some horrible, horrible. Okay, right. But when you're dealing with people who have lost their city, their whole city, everything they own, smoldering, and you say, yeah, no, my, uh, my Cuisinart melted and I had to make an insurance claim to get a new one. My micro, I needed a new microwave and it took like two weeks for the insurance company to get back to me. So I know what you're going through is horrible. Listen to Joe Biden talking to people who lost everything. I don't want to 
compare difficulties, but we have a little sense, Jill and I, what it's like to lose a home. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was in Washington doing Meet the Press. It was a sunny Sunday, and lightning struck at home on a little lake that's outside of our home, not a lake, a big pond, and hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating ducts, the air conditioning duct. To make a long story short, I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, <laughs> and my cat. But all kidding aside, I watched the firefighters, the way they responded. It just, I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. He was doing Meet the Press. Um, he was doing Meet the Press. What, did he get a phone call? And he, said he watched the first response. How did he make it back to Delaware from doing Meet the Press in Washington, D.C. in time to watch the first responders respond to that? It would be impossible. His house would have had to have burned down 15 to 20 times if he left immediately and was driven directly to Delaware from Washington, D.C. It's about a two-hour two drive or so, maybe three. So they would have had to have continually relit his house on fire. It would have burned to nothing for that to have been the case. But even the Washington Post fact checker found, because Joe's been telling this story for a while, found that this was a garbage story, that the fire was, according to the local police, was contained to a small corner of the kitchen and was under control in 20 minutes. Under control in 20 minutes. That sound like that's what Joe Biden was talking about? Under control in 20 minutes? Back then, Glenn Kessler, fact checker, the Washington Post, back in 2021. It's amazing how these fact checks, Joe's been telling this story for years. The fact checks don't come until after the election. They didn't fact check him barely at all during the election. And when they did, we're fact-checking both candidates equally. We really take a, uh, a microscope to everything Donald Trump says, and we're going to fact-check that Joe Biden said it's a beautiful day today. And it turns out it's mostly true. There were some clouds in the sky. So mostly true. By the way, everything Donald Trump said was a lie. They wait until after the election. Glenn Kessler writes, Biden today, quote, we had a house burned down with my wife in it. She got out safely. Hmm. That was an old Joe Biden quote from 2021. 20, or 2004 AP News report, quote, a small fire that was contained to the kitchen, Jill reported the fire, was under control in 20 minutes, according to the <laughs> Associated Press, which is true. Here's the actual story from 2004. Lightning struck the home of Senator Joseph Biden, starting a small fire that was contained to the kitchen. No one was injured in Sunday's fire, which started amid a storm that caused serious flooding in Pennsylvania and knocked out power to hundreds of Delaware homes and businesses. Biden is Delaware's senior senator, blah, blah, blah. His wife, Jill, reported the fire Sunday morning. Many lightning strikes were reported in Newcastle County, where the Biden home is. Firefighters arrived to find heavy smoke coming from the house, but were able to keep the flames from spreading beyond the kitchen, uh, said Cranston Heights Fire Chief George Lamborn. Quote, luckily, 
We got it pretty early, he said. The fire was under control in 20 minutes. That's the entirety of the story. Suddenly, this is, I once went to a sushi restaurant to, I served in Vietnam. I was in Southeast Asia. I nearly died over there. That's how this guy lives. He should be embarrassed, but a person capable of embarrassment wouldn't do these sorts of things in, to begin with. They really just wouldn't. It's a shame. It's disgusting. It's horrible. And the hell that the people of Hawaii have gone through in the name of equity where they refuse to release water is, um, is just compounded by having this ass clown come out there and fall asleep on them, lie to them, and belittle what they've gone through for the convenience of... Uh, his politics. I, it, he should be ashamed of himself. He won't be ashamed of himself. All right. Now a little bit of debate preview. Because why? Because why not? You know, first off, there's a story. Two candidates are suing. Larry Elder is suing. And somebody else, somebody else, you never, Will Hurd, I think, is suing. Because they say, well, they made the 1%. They didn't, they didn't make the debate stage. There are standards. You can be mad. You can, all you really got to do is get 1% in a national poll that isn't associated with any campaign. Because if you get, it doesn't matter if it's not your campaign, somebody else's campaign. If you're associated with a campaign, they're not going to trust the methodology. And they shouldn't. So Larry Elder, while I think he would do great on the debate stage, is not going to make the debate stage because he didn't make 1%. Will Hurd, I don't even know what the hell his argument is. It's a damn joke. He needs to just... He's, he's going to win Mika's vote and maybe Joe's vote. And that's it. Because why? Because nobody else gives a damn. <laughs> so... Who did make the debate stage? Asa Hutchinson, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, and whatever the hell Bergram's name is. I don't even know what the name Bergram's first name is. But he's the governor of North Dakota. He's apparently rich and, uh, let's see, Governor North Dakota, Doug Bergram. There you go, Doug Bergram has made the stage. 40,000 individual donors, 1% in national polls, or uh, 1%, I think in two national polls, or 1% or more in a national poll and a poll of one of the first few states. Something like that. Whatever. The bar isn't all that high, especially when these guys are out there going, uh, please give me a dollar so I can make the debate stage. And apparently people have tons of money. And they're just, all right, here, I'll give you a dollar. Let's get eight people up on the stage. For my money, I could do without Asa Hutchison. I could do without uh, Bergram. I could do without Vivek Ramaswamy, quite frankly. But that's me. I also think that once you get too many people on the stage, it becomes, how do you answer anything in 60 seconds? How do you do anything? It's, it's, it's just a waste of time. But it will be. Uh, what I suggest you do is not watch any of the pregame because everybody's going to be set. All the teams have been picked. All the checks have been cut. All the transfers have been made. Everybody's on their team. And they're going to set expectations. They're going to probably set expectations for DeSantis as high as they possibly can. And expectations for Vivek, we'll see, probably low. 
And then if anything upsets that narrative, afterwards they'll go right back to the very same people, all with their uniforms on, and they'll give you the results and the reaction and the spin. That They might as well not even watch the debate, these participants. So if you're going to watch it, I would suggest you tune in, I don't know if it's 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, and you just watch it. And then you immediately turn on something else when it's over. Make up your own mind. Don't let the pundit class, particularly the cable news pundit class, especially the conservative cable news pundit class, dictate anything to you. Don't let it infect your mind. Catch it tomorrow. Go to bed. Sleep on it and see what you think when you wake up in the morning. Your impressions will be clear and and more solidified and less open to bastardization by people with an agenda or a job or you know even if they're just media people they want ratings they want whatever i would suggest or recommend or hope that you would just avoid it all and come up with your own opinion on it that being said you'll get my opinion the next day um asa hutchinson i just don't know what he does asa hutchinson's reason for being in the race is to whine about Donald Trump, but in a way that is not appealing to even people who are open to people who whine about Donald Trump. It's just like, I don't know what, you're not super conservative. You're not conservative really at all. And I remember I first heard of Asa Hutchinson. He was one of the house managers during Clinton's impeachment. I thought the guy was was good. I liked him. And then something, he changed. You evolve over time, but he's not a conservative. He's not particularly pro-life anymore. He vetoed legislation to protect girls' sports from the transgender insanity and other transgender issues in Arkansas before they got a good governor. So I don't really know what his justification is. Doug Bergram, honestly, I don't know enough about him. I'm kind of glad he's there because I want to learn more about him. I've seen a couple of interviews with him, but they were horrible interviews. What do I mean by that? They're in the, the same types of interviews that everybody gets. Half the questions were about Donald Trump and the other half of the questions were about Donald Trump. <laughs> like, okay, uh, what is this guy? He's not running to be Donald Trump. He's running to be president of the United... Maybe we could, I don't know, talk about some issues. So it'll be interesting to see the quality of the moderation, which I don't have a lot of faith in. But I, uh, it'll be interesting to see what answers he comes up with. Tim Scott... I suspect they're going to try to start a fight between Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis. I expect Martha McCallum or Brett Baer to bring up the African-American advanced history or whatever the hell, the black history course in Florida and the criticism that Scott levied that was stupid and wrongheaded and misguided and try and rehash that. Because why? Because there are 12 people who care about that dust up and uh, it it could make for good TV. They want to start a fight. There's very little attempt to get information from these candidates and you just can't when there's like one minute and that's it. So I suspect I'll try to start a fight there. Chris Christie is just going to be a Tasmanian devil going after Donald Trump every time he gets a, a chance to open his mouth. He might take swipes at DeSantis and Ramaswamy as well. Ramaswamy is ripe for it. He's got a lot to... It's amazing to me how looking into Ramaswamy just barely now, just barely now, 
All sorts of things are being turned up. Interesting things are being turned up. For example, Fox News. He was apparently Vivek was a some sort of uh, he received an award from George Soros, according to Fox News, a reward based on an, an award of money, scholarship money, for um, law school. But apparently, his here's the story. Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy was already a millionaire by the time he accepted the Soros scholarship he previously said he needed in order to pay for law school. Ramaswamy defended himself last month for accepting a $90,000 award from the Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship for New Americans, which was founded by Daisy and Paul Soros, the late older brother of liberal billionaire financer George Soros. Ramaswamy said that after graduating Harvard, he, quote, didn't have the money to afford Yale Law School. Oh, to have those kind of problems. Quote, there was a separate scholarship that I won at the age of 24, 25 when I was going to law school in my mid-20s. In my early 20s, when I didn't have the money, it was a merit scholarship that hundreds of kids win. That was partially funded not by George Soros, but by Paul Soros, a relative, his brother, Ramaswamy said. Quote, and to be perfectly honest with you, I would have had to uh, have been a fool to turn down that scholarship at the age of 24. When Ramaswamy accepted the award in 2011, he was a first-year law student at Yale and had been working for several years as an investment analyst at the hedge fund QVT Financial. In 2011, the same year he accepted the reward, Ramaswamy reported $2.252 million in total income according to his tax returns, which he released in June. Isn't that? He reported a total of $1.173 million in income in the three years prior. Now, why lie? Why, you, look, you, somebody's going to give you money, you're going to take the money. But why lie? I know I needed the money. I needed the money because Soros is attached to it. If you're willing to lie about that, what else are you willing to lie? But just, just tell the truth. Yeah, I took the money. I was rich, but somebody offers me $90,000, so of course I'm going to do it. I don't care how rich I get. You're going to pick up my check? I'll let you pick up my check. So it's interesting what you discover, what is being discovered by the media about Vivek Ramaswamy with even just a cursory look. All the sorts. I went into some yesterday. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. If this is coming out in the media, I'll be curious to see how people sort of criticize him because of it and how he handles that criticism. It's usually just a smile and, and more BSing. A whole lot of words, eat up the time, speak really fast so it sounds like you know what you're talking about. Wait for them to say, you're out of, your time is up, and then you just move on. And then when they come back at you, say, they're just attacking me because they don't want to talk about their own record. It's, uh, it's politics, ladies and gentlemen. Politics. Mike Pence, honestly, I don't know what he's going to do on the stage. He's going to be asked a whole bunch about January 6th, I bet. And he's not going to, he's just such a, he's Melba toast. It's just not very exciting. We'll see. Nikki Haley, this will be her chance. She is, it'll be interesting to see whether or not she falls into the liberal trap of trying to play identity politics. I doubt it, although it might be in the question to her. She can be impressive. She can also be kindergarten teachery in the way she speaks. Some politicians just do that. Just, she's better than other politicians who are constantly kindergarten teachery. 
So it'll be interesting to see how she handles it. She will probably be looking... Well, she's been governor. She's got... She's one of the more well-rounded resumes up there in any event, having worked at the UN. So she has the international stage and she has been a governor. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Vivek, we've already covered, and Ron DeSantis. This is going to be Ron DeSantis' headhunting season. The DeSantis supporters are going to be out there with their ready-made, he did great, and the Ron DeSantis haters are going to be out there going, he's terrible, he sucks, and he... It'll be interesting to see what, this is why I say turn off the analysis afterwards and think for yourself, catch up on it the next day and see if you agree with it, but give your chance, your thoughts, an opportunity to solidify before you pollute them with somebody else's. I do find it interesting and really justified that the Trump campaign, that Fox News has banned the Trump campaign, surrogates from the post and pre-debate analysis. The Trump campaign was hope, was making a whole bunch of people available, Congressman Byron Donalds, et cetera, et cetera. Well, oh, yeah, I'm sure Kerry Lake was one of them. Have them on, talk about the debate. They'll give you a debate reaction. Like, no. If your guy isn't going to participate in the debate, then your team doesn't get to participate in the post-debate. You don't get to listen to any of this crap, Okay just the way it is. So I think it's a good thing. Apparently, now, I still haven't seen the validity of this this um, tweet. But according to Twitter, screen capture, I'm always weary of that. Byron Donalds tweeted out, what Fox News has done by banning me and others from uh, the debate on Wednesday is outrageous. How is President Trump supposed to defend himself from the tax the other candidates will throw his way at the debate. Completely unfair. Sounds more like a Trump tweet than a Byron Donald's tweet, but I can think of a way that he could defend himself. He could show up and debate. So I think it's a fair policy to say you're welcome to show up and defend yourself in real time, but you don't get to blast people in, to helicopter people in to defend you when you refuse to participate. Like I say, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see how close my predictions are to reality come a Thursday morning. But that's that's enough for now, I say. I appreciate you listening. Don't forget patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast. Enter the contest there. All the good stuff there. And uh, DerekHunter.locals.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.